meeting, and I, well, I just was thrilled last night at the preaching of the Word of God that we heard, and uh, I like that kind of preaching. I said, I like that kind of preaching. And I know there's a few folks wouldn't like it, but I like it. I think God likes it. That's what really makes it important. I think the Holy Ghost likes it, and that is, that's the main criteria. Well, it's good to be here in this Bible class, and we're going back this afternoon to what we have been teaching on for these last several days, impressions and inner feelings, determining and discerning what is the voice of the Lord, what is the will of God, as opposed to what we may feel is the will of God, what we may think is right. And uh, these urges and these uh, feelings that motivate us, make us believe it's God's will to do certain things, we need to know how to put them to the test and realize if we're in the will of God or not or if it's authentic or not. And I'd like to say again that uh, we have been centering this Bible class around the subject of changing churches. Changing churches. And I really, though I want to speak about that and I've chosen that particular aspect of this subject for my focal point, we would be doing ourselves an injustice if we limited it to just this one area. Where I feel like that uh, everything that is happening around us in the Pentecostal environment needs to be subjected to the tests and the guidelines that we're going to be studying to see whether they are of God or not. Praise God. As preachers of the Word of God, there are new methods, there are new approaches to the kingdom of God, there are new approaches to soul winning, to evangelism, and I feel like that we need to have some guidelines, something positive and definite that will help us to discern the authenticity of the method. I do not believe that merely the statement that it works is the authentic, legitimate proof or evidence of it being proper in the Word of God. If it works would be a prime criteria of the authenticity of anything, then let us revert back to the old philosophy of the world that the end justifies the means. And you know that philosophy can be projected into a long distance and become diabolical. The end justifies the means. For instance, there is the thing called euthanasia, mercy killing. There are people that have gotten in trouble in the past several years. Seemingly it is a merciful, well-meaning, compassionate feeling that 
elderly folks who have reached a place of no return, there is no hope for their recovery, perhaps they are in severe pain, suffering terrible ravages of the body, and on top of all of their personal discomfort and misery, the untold expense they are to either a family or to the state, to someone, thousands of dollars being spent weekly to preserve their life. And on top of all of that, they are miserable with it. Someone has said, let's just kill them mercifully. And so they have done that. There was a nurse in a hospital several years ago that uh, injected into the veins of several terminally ill cancer patients, very poisonous, well it wasn't poisonous, but the chemical, I forget what the drug was at this moment, but to their particular disease it was fatal. It would trigger a heart seizure, cause them to die. And uh, the arguments presented in court were very, seemingly very humane. These were terminally ill people. They were very miserable, in much pain, and so on. And so it seemed to be that it would be justifiable. The end, the end would justify the means. But I feel like tonight, if you were the one, that you may have different thoughts about it if they were fixing to inject you with something. And I don't feel like anyone has the right to play God. Nobody has a right to play God. So this afternoon we're going to look at the guidelines, the will of God. Saints of God coming up to their pastors and saying, The Lord spoke to me. The Lord told me that I need to change churches. The Holy Ghost has revealed to me it's the will of God for us to move down the road or across the state to another congregation. I believe that's where I belong. Where does this fit in the Word of God? Where does this belong within Scripture? Do saints of God inform their God-given leaders, separate and apart from the Lord speaking to them, that it's God's will to move? Is it God's will for all of this moving around and changing churches? Are there legitimate reasons, biblical reasons, for changing churches? Does God bypass the ministry and guide the laity separate and apart from the ministry into the will of God? What are the answers to these questions? And I am speaking primarily this afternoon to the saints of God. These preachers can pick up anything, then that's okay. But there's too much casual changing of churches. Moving from one assembly to the other. People making lifetime decisions that affect the destiny of their family based mainly upon an impression or some kind of inner feeling as it being the will of God. Should we listen uncritically, without any other substantive evidence, to these feelings, to these impressions, and to these voices that speak 
from within. I hope that by now, this fourth afternoon, that I've presented enough evidence in cases that you cannot trust that little inner voice by itself. It's certainly true that God speaks to us in a voice inside. I believe in dreams and I believe in the speaking and the leading of the Holy Ghost. That's one of the common identifications of the Jesus Name Church. But we've learned this far that impressions and inner feelings and uh, some little voice speaking on the inside cannot stand alone by itself as the reason for making a lifetime or a life-affecting decision. And I mentioned yesterday the first of the four guidelines that we're going into to be able to judge the authenticity as to whether it's God or not. And I'd like to repeat something again this afternoon, and that's this. It does not insult God to ask Him for further evidence of identification if it's Him speaking. You'll not make God angry by asking Him for further evidence, for further signs that it's really the Lord wanting you to do certain things. I'm speaking majorly in the large decisions of life, but it's certainly, it's certainly, it certainly was true in the smallest decisions of life. The first guideline, and we just got into this yesterday afternoon, so let's turn to it now. In seeking God's will, how do we evaluate carefully these, these impressions, these inner voices, this feeling and sometimes a feeling can come on you so strong that you really ought to do something how do I test that feeling as to whether it's true one is is it scriptural that is the first test that any feeling in any voice and any impression or new idea must be filtered through. Is it scriptural? Hallelujah. I want to suggest to this congregation that a lot of things that are happening round about us today would be stopped dead in their tracks right there if they had to stand the scripture test. Amen. Let me, let me repeat again. Let me reminds you of the statement of the gentleman that informed this pastor here of the fact that it was the will of God to change churches. And then backed up his feelings with this statement. There are no preachers, nobody, no preachers, that can make me change my mind. Saints of God, are you listening to me? Any time any statement like that is made, just X off everything else. God's not going to tell you to do anything that disrespects and degrades and lowers the authority of the ministry in your life. 
fact, I got news for you. Any ministry that attempts to degrade the ministry, look out. Praise the name of Jesus. Remember several years ago in California, there was a move going on in California, and it was affecting a lot of churches. And the evangelist involved was telling them in the camp meetings. I happened to have been there during the time this was all going on, and he was telling them that if certain things do not occur in your church that are occurring under this tent, you need to leave your pastor. And he was speaking about divine healings and various other miracles, and all of that's wonderful. But just because that doesn't occur every Sunday night in your local assembly does not mean that your church is not authentic and sent from the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. But sometimes a little bit of success goes to some folks' head. And while their head's in the clouds, their feet leave the earth. And it doesn't hurt to be just a little pragmatic. I know that bothers folks that live in this big realm of faith. And I think that is also another misunderstood subject. Can I tell you something? You can't have faith for anything that's not in this book. Now, I know some of you won't swallow that. You hear me? Somebody said, yeah, but Brother Boo, I got great. My faith is so big. Your faith isn't any bigger than this book. And if it is, it's illegitimate faith. It's not faith. It's optimism. There's a whole lot of difference in faith and optimism. And there's a whole lot of difference in faith and positive thinking. Ha, ha, ha. Somebody said teaching like that, you're going to destroy faith. You'll never destroy faith preaching the book. But I've got a faith that is this big. Your faith, it cannot be bigger than the book. Faith cometh by hearing. But that's not where the verse of Scripture stopped. It didn't stop there. If it stopped there, then we would just invent, concoct, study, philosophize until we developed a theory of philosophy, of positive thinking that would bowl the world over. We would be Zig Ziglar's and capital Z's. See you at the top. Or sometimes you'll have to go to the bottom to see me. I've been up there and I've been down there and I've been up and down several times. And if you have lived in this world, so have you. But if it just stopped there, faith cometh by hearing. But it didn't stop there. And hearing by the Word of God. Glory be to Jesus. You can't have a faith that is bigger than this book. And if you've got a faith that contradicts this book, you don't have faith. You've got a philosophy. It may be a religious philosophy, but it's still a philosophy. You know, it's a sad thing that some of us have gotten so cockeyed smart. We're greater than the brethren that brought us into this truth. Praise the name of Jesus. Is it scriptural? 
If this man would have put this statement to the test of, is it scriptural, he would have shut his mouth right there. Hallelujah. Let me, let me do something else. I know this, y'all going to like this, I can just tell. I'm going to say it anyhow. This book has seen the end from the beginning. It's right here. And did you know that the very day that we're living in right now has been covered by this book? Praise God. And a little bit of sticking our nose and listening to the Lord speak about the dispensation of the church. I know all these big thinkers don't like you to come back and hold their feet to the book. But you're going to have to keep your feet in the book if you're acceptable to God. And Jesus prophesied and gave us identification characteristics of the day of grace. They're in there. First of all, in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, there are the seven letters to Asia Minor that cover Pentecost from beginning to end. From the day of Pentecost till the rapture. But let me on what I'm on is it scriptural. Take you also to the 13th chapter of the book of the Gospel of Matthew and he gives us seven more graphic pictures of the kingdom of God. And if you'll study carefully you can match these up with the seven churches of Asia Minor and I'm not going to do that this afternoon. But Jesus spoke in the 13th chapter or taught about the kingdom of heaven, the sphere of professing Christianity. And he gave us, really in miniature form, the history of the church from his ministry to the coming of the Lord. Listen to me, children of God, if you'll get in your heart a revelation of the nature of the church that Jesus gave us, we will in no wise be intimidated by what we're calling charismatic movements today. I'm going to tell you why they like it. Because it's all fun and games and no responsibility. Just talking tongues. I'm wondering today, that seems to be the major thing that everybody's wanting to get folks to do is just talk in tongues. Man, it's there and we have to speak in tongues as the evidence of the Holy Ghost. But we've got a generation of tongue talkers that don't know how to live nothing. Hallelujah anyhow. But in the 13th chapter of Matthew, Jesus took us in a quick panoramic bird's eye view trip through the dispensation of grace and he said the kingdom of heaven is life. Now let me just paraphrase that. He was saying, this is church. This is church. This is what you'd expect. And our God did not live under any delusions of grandeur. And He did not live under any delusions of the world as a unit falling in love with His message. 
I got news for you. They hated him. Y'all listen to me? Just look at the effect of his ministry. Of course, we got folks that's more powerful than Jesus. Mighty powerful. But just look at his ministry. Because I tell you what he did. He did just a little bit more than scare the britches off of them. And he did a little bit more than promise them fun and games. He taught some responsibility, some holy living, some righteousness, some obligation. And they didn't like it. I ain't changed. I'm what I was. Praise the Lord. And that generation that Jesus lived in hated his guts. And he said, marvel not that the world hates you. Because they hated him also. He was under no delusion. You know I marvel how you preachers get so cockeyed scared. Where's all that popping off I hear in these offices and in the motels? When a preacher gets up, takes a stand, y'all got you get chicken hearted. Where y'all at? Hallelujah. I love you. I'm not going to be smart. <laughs> forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. But Jesus was under no delusions. And he didn't want us to be under any delusions either. Four parables he spoke to the multitude at large. The parable of the sower, the parable of the darnel, the tares, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaven. These four parables Jesus spake to the multitude. Then... He left the multitude and entered into a house and spoke the remaining three parables of his discourse to just the believers, to his chosen select group of disciples. And he spoke about the hidden treasure, about the pearl of great price, and about the dragnet. And these were parables of a different elevation and dimension for a select few. But Jesus let us know right off the bat so there would be no delusions that everybody that hears us preach is not going to accept this. There's going to be stony ground. There's going to be wayside. There's going to be thorny ground. But thank God there will be some others who will hear our message, fall in love with it, and be saved. And will bring forth 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And don't you kid yourself tonight while I believe in being biblical and while I believe in preaching holiness and I believe in preaching holiness to sinners. I believe in preaching whatever the Holy Ghost wants them to hear on a particular night. I do believe there's somebody out there that wants this apostolic message. Glory! But on the other hand, we're going to have to stick with Bible guidelines to win them. For if any man strive not lawfully, he's not going to be crowned. The end doesn't justify the means. We don't want to win the lost at any cost. At the cost of holiness. At the cost of convictions. 
at the cost of church government, at the cost of Bible doctrine, at the cost of truth. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. There's not a soul in the world, including mine, that's worth more than any doctrine in this Bible. We can get so heady and so our heads so ballooned up, we get silly. Let me let me just show you. Parable of the sower. Then the parable of the tares. Then the parable of the mustard seed. I've been teaching on this seven group of parables for several weeks now at home, and I came to the parable of the mustard seed, and uh, it was as though it be the least of the herbs, the Bible said, it grew into a large, a great tree, and the fowls of the air inhabited it. Grew into a great tree. Though it be the least of the herbs, so I, I don't, I'm not a botanist, so I went to the Encyclopedia Britannica and get to looking up something about mustard seed, and I got a Bible dictionary of, of something to do with the Holy Land. And I found out there really is no such a thing as a mustard tree. It is a herb. It does not grow by nature into a large tree. It is unnatural, it is abnormal, it is not its nature. But Jesus spoke when he said, the kingdom of heaven is light. This is what church is going to be like. This is what the sphere of the professing church is going to be like. Though it be the least among the herbs of the garden, it's going to expand and grow into a great tree and the fowls of the air are going to lodge in its branches. Are you all listening to me? Jesus himself was prophesying an, an abnormal, unrealistic, unauthentic swelling in the kingdom of God. And there's a difference between swelling and growing. I submit to you this evening that if we're growing with jewelry on our fingers, if we're growing with television in our homes, if we're growing at the expense of holiness, we're not growing, we're swelling. Are you listening? I want to say that again. I said, but the boy against growth, my goodness, why would I be in this business? Why would I pastor? I don't want to see the church grow. That's crazy. But I'm telling you, Jesus predicted there would be a swelling, an abnormality, in which... Oh, y'all not going to I'm sorry. I'm going to teach it in here. Because I'm standing on the book. I don't know what you're standing on. Maybe you're standing on Zig. And y'all should listen to me. You better watch all this, these junky books. And get your mind all built. Get your faith and get your balance from here. Not by all these books of self-improvement and all that kind of Tommy Rock. The trouble with it is it emphasizes self and not the Lord. I wonder what Zig thinks about John the Baptist saying, I must decrease, but he must increase. 
Sound like John was saying, I'll meet you at the bottom. Hello, everybody. Hello. But Jesus said there was going to be an abnormality in the kingdom of God. Not only would it swell out beyond its normal size, but then every habitation, it would become the habitation of every foul spirit inhabiting the branches. Praise the name of God. And if we become intimidated by mere swellings, we don't understand the Word of God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. God help us. This is the day of the super church. You know, we have been so geared. I'm going to tell you what. There's not a pastor in this whole creation. You know, it sounds great, Brother Spell, to have a church running a thousand. That's a thousand people not going to hell. That is a marvelous thought. But I hate to pop anybody's balloon out here, but there's not a one of you sitting out there can pastor a thousand. Well, well, Somebody said, I'll get me a bunch of assistant pastors. Yeah, you're really in for some fun now. They're ambitious too. So you've got a thousand. Listen, you can call it negativism. If I don't care what you call it. we got to keep our feet in this book. And let me tell you something. I pastor a pretty good-sized little church, but I'm going to tell you what. Their thing, it's, it's a place where it's difficult to know what is going on. I used to preach revivals for Bishop Carl Smith in Columbus, Ohio, great old pioneer Pentecostal. And in the last few years, that church was huge. Now, the size of his auditorium is a little is about the width of this one and was a shade longer. And I preached to it night after night when it was packed, jammed full. On Sunday morning, the same thing. The majority of those people there were members of his church. But there were dozens and scores and scores of folks, and he didn't no more know what they were doing than nothing in the world. The very principle in this Bible of sheep and shepherds can get so out of hand. Now, i am not got time to go into all the solutions, but I'm telling you, all of us are limited We can get so big, there's a bunch of foolishness and stuff going on in the perimeter of our churches that's not of God. Well, 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 well. Hallelujah. There is a distinct difference between a swelling and a growth. And when you have to sacrifice holiness and righteousness. You know, we were brought up by great men of God. Men of doctrine men of righteousness and men of revival. Men that love a move of the Spirit and saw it and observed it and enjoyed it. Are you listening to me? And I thank God for that. I thank God for that. 
I believe this evening they put something in me. And I don't intend to be unfaithful and disloyal. Now, if I was in false doctrine, I may change. Disloyal to the brethren that brought me here. You know what I think? Let me just deviate here a moment. I believe that for us to burn draft cards and to become where well, we just monocoddle the communistic ideology and become what we call, quote, free thinkers and give every philosophy and diabolical idea a place to abide in America that we're not worth the powder it would take to shoot us if we're that disloyal to the men that died for American democracy and for ideology of liberty. You hear me? And I'm going to tell you something else. For the likes of them that sacrifice popularity, sacrificed financially, sacrificed all of their way around to be defenders of our faith and establish holiness churches around this country. Amen. It preached against television and got a love for Hollywood and New York City and all of the dream world play of Hollywood out of our heart. Amen. Stripped us of all of the pride and haughtiness of ornamentation. Taught us to dress godly with long sleeves and long dresses. Our hair shortcut, brethren. And ladies' hair uncut, snipped, plucked, trimmed, or ironed. They're dead in their grave. We're rotten scoundrels and scumps. If for the sake of success and a big name, we start fellowshipping that kind of stuff that they preached out of our heart. Go ahead and prostitute yourself. I said prostitute yourself. But that don't make it right. Is it scriptural? Is it scriptural? What about this new fangled evangelism that if you don't have sinners there the first or second night, they threaten to quit and go home? Let's test that to the scripture. You know... I've been in churches for seven weeks. During that time, we prayed folks through the Holy Ghost, baptized them in Jesus' name. And then there were other times the Holy Ghost cleansed, washed, perfected, strengthened the hands of a pastor. Some folks want all the cream and no churning. But I'll tell you what I have done. I have gone in churches and reaped. I mean, when you walk in a church and start a revival and almost the first night you're paying folks through the Holy Ghost, you're, you're foolish if you think that's you. You're foolish if somehow you've got a fantastic ministry. That nobody, that somebody done some sowing and somebody done some weeping in fasting and prayer and I happen to come along and enjoy a little reaping of somebody else's planting. And I've seen it work the other way. I've preached my heart out, sinners every night, preached my heart out and not seem to get that breakthrough. And the time come for me to move on, and weeks later I hear about another vendors coming through and starting up and praying them through every night. 
There's no need me feeling intimidated and ashamed. I put some seed in that revival. We are laborers together. There's no big shots in this thing. There's no supermen in this thing. Hallelujah. We are laborers together with God. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but the Lord gave the increase. What about this threatening you? Can you imagine it being threatened? That if you don't get so many out, you don't get somebody out, you're gonna, they're going to quit and leave you? Poor old Bill Dross, he would have been in the pickle. He'd have quit because there were no sinners responding. Five long years he preached in Columbia. I believe that was where it was. Five long years he preached without one convert. But there are churches all over Columbia this afternoon. Bill Dross is dead, but there's churches all over Columbia. Thank God for somebody who's willing to plow, plant, sow, and wait for the increase. Let's see if there is a ministry of reaping. You know, there's all kinds of ministries nowadays. Bus ministries, prison ministries, reaping ministries, just reaping ministries. Isn't that lovely? Reaping ministries. Let's see if, first of all, I, don't, I can't even think of anywhere where I ever read that. But let us turn, if you will, to an old familiar scripture. But it's still right, even in 1984. It's funny how it was right a few years ago, and it don't make sense anymore. Ephesians chapter 1, we're talking about testing the authenticity of things by the Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's Mary, aren't you paying attention? I missed something. What did I miss? Evangelist. Oh, surely that's not in there. Most of the folks are reading out the reverse version nowadays. But this one says, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some well, let's move that out of the way because they're not supposed to do all this other stuff. Some pastors and some teachers. Now the apostles and the prophets, perhaps, and the pastors and the teachers are for the perfecting of the saints. And for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now somewhere in, I know it's got to be in here. Let me see. It's bound to be somewhere over here Right after chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. Ah, here it is. And the ministry of evangelism shall be such that if there are not sinners showing up every night, he must inform the pastor immediately he shall leave and move to more profitable territory. This is acceptable to the Most Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. 
the fivefold ministry. Isn't it interesting? They have the same responsibilities. Now you can holler till you're blue in the face, but you can't argue with the book. Your opinion is as good as mine, but as nobody's opinion is as good as this. And the book said that the fivefold ministry has a united responsibility for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. There are brethren sitting in this building this afternoon that has had the privilege in times gone by, and we miss him so much, of the ministry of Brother Verbal Bean. Lord, have mercy. What a great man of God, and what a great friend and brother he was, and we miss him dearly. But I recall that the ministry of Brother Bean was a very profitable one as an evangelist, a very profitable one to the kingdom of God. There were times where the Bean preached in churches as long as three months and prayed many through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But let me tell you something else Brother Bean did through the Holy Ghost. There were cigarette-sucking Sunday school superintendents who got exposed. There were adulterers and adulteresses that the cloak of hypocrisy was pulled back from. You listening to me? There were rebellious deacon board members and trustee board members and self-willed and bullheaded saints that learned how to submit themselves and love a preacher. And love a man of God. When Brother Bean left the place, they loved the preacher. Joe Duke and all. Hallelujah. I feel that there is that we're getting into these where we're now specialists. And all we do is certain limited areas of the ministry. It's not biblical. It is not. My Bible said the fivefold ministry is for all of them apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I'm going to tell you all something. I thank God for a few old fashioned evangelists that's come through and lifted up my hands a time or two. I'm not so so strong and so great but there have been times that my shoulders have been weary and I appreciate the assistance and the aid and the blessing Lord have mercy and I'll tell you something else there was a preaching against sin and a preaching of holiness that accompanied the move of God It's quiet, but it's right. Thank you, Jesus. Is it scriptural? And I don't mean to talk. The Bible says to study, to show thyself approved unto God. And I don't believe it means to toy with the scriptures or manipulate the scriptures. I believe it means to study the scriptures. I mentioned the other night that the other, the other afternoon that when we ask is it scriptural we don't mean by that we search through the Bible for certain proof texts 
Now we look for certain scriptures that suggest that we might be right in the particular idea that we have. Amen. But we try to find the consensus and the spirit of the Word of God as well as the letter. What is God's intent? What was the Lord teaching us in Holy Writ? And the truth of the matter is the book prophesied there would come a day that they actually did not know how to discern between holy and unholy. They was not able to discern between right and wrong. In this new philosophy and theology that comes along, if it, your conscience doesn't condemn you, do it. God help us this afternoon. You can't trust your conscience by itself. You can't lean 100% on just what your conscience says. Otherwise, there had never been a Bible written. If my conscience was perfectly on its own, legitimately authentic, if I didn't need anything else, then we would not have needed the Bible. I just go by my feelings. If it didn't bother me, do it. I know folks that are sitting down in front of televisions today, and it ain't bothering them and their Sunday school superintendents in Pentecostal churches. I know them that are cutting their bangs and trimming their hair. Amen. That are in choirs in one God Jesus name churches, wearing makeup, smearing axle grease on their necks. Wearing their burst stones and their high school rings. You hear me? In their short sleeves. It ain't bothering them. It's not going to bother them until somebody raises up their voices and cries aloud and spares not and preaches the Word of God. Somebody said, We'll work, brother. I hollered out, Brother McMullins didn't hear me last night. Man, that was preaching. This, the, this theory. Of winning them first, you know, playing them for suckers. You know, we're ashamed of even being Jesus' name holy rollers. That's why I like that a little course. I'm a one God tongue talking apostolic holy roller, born again believer in the liberated power of Jesus' name. We're still holy rollers. Very restrictive. Sig wouldn't like that. 
hallelujah, and all the rest of this stuff. I thank God that I heard a balance. And I heard the revival too. And we prayed, folks, for the Holy Ghost. But not at the sacrifice of our precious message. Oh, Jesus, writing to the church, said, Church of Philadelphia, and said, Thou hast not denied my name, because thou hast a little strength, and hast not denied my name, and has kept my word. One of my dear friends said to us, Sinners don't want to hear holiness. Well, I guess they don't. Sinners don't want to hear all that stuff. They just want to hear about what God can do for them and about the Holy Ghost. And I realize, I realize this, there are a lot of us who need to learn more how to win the lost. I realize there's some of us that need to know when to yank the line. And reel them in. That's the truth. I believe that either philosophy, total rejection of holiness, church government, the abandonment of the responsibilities of the fivefold ministry, I believe that that is wrong. I do not believe it's authentic. But neither do I believe a folding of the hand and of justifying all of our laziness and doing nothing and never learning how to preach the message of hope to a lost and dying world that's equally wrong and unscriptural. Y'all listen to me? Amen. I'm telling you, sometimes sinners have got a plate full of UPC and didn't even know what they were eating. Now, I'm not knocking preaching that. Or whatever else you want to, if it's God's will. And I want to say this, that if we're going to win the lost and our churches grow, we've got to throw out the lifeline to a lost and dying world. And let them know that we've got a cure for the drug addiction. That we've got a cure for alcoholism. That we've got a cure for the broken down family and the destroying of the home. That there is hope for a world struggling in an economy that's choking out their life. We've got a message that will lift them up out of the dregs of sin. Clean them up, wash them up, and give them joy. Yes, we do. And we've always had it. Holy to God. Is it scriptural? Is all I'm asking. Is it Whatever you're doing, if it's to the lay member deciding to change churches, I'm going to tell you something. There are so few legitimate reasons for changing churches, it ought to scare you to death to even think about it. Like in another part of the country, like in the weather in another place, moving off to your families over here, or you like it over there, or you want to go to a bigger, smaller, maybe they've got more talent down the road, Maybe they have more singers, or maybe you feel like you could be a blessing in a smaller church. Whatever the conglomerate of all of these so-called reasons, not a one of them is legitimate. God said, I will give you pastors 
You can't take that out of there. Not a deacon board, not a trustee board, or even a church. I will give you pastors after my heart, and they will teach you knowledge. Sounds to me like that God wants the authority and the responsibility of placing men. And that don't mean a bunch of preachers throwing their hat in the ring every time a church vacancy comes up. Amen. I'm telling you that a real pastor is not a man who pastors you for a few years until he gets a better opportunity. You hear me? Until something more profitable comes along. Oh, or who resigns and runs when the going gets tough. Jesus said the hiring will flee when the wolf cometh. You know why? He ain't got nothing in those sheep. It's the boss's job. He's the one going to lose. And it's just not worth the danger and the trouble and the sacrifice to stay through trouble and trial until God plants a church there. Hear me? That is a hiring looking for a cool way and a profitable way and a smooth ride. A shepherd will stick with you through hell and high water, through the lean and the thick, through good and bad, through high and low. He'll stay and fight, plant his feet on the ground until God gives the increase. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Let me just, again, be so bold. And I'm not being facetious now. I'm being very sincere and humbly say something to the ministry. There's no easy places. There are no places where you go and there's no drivers, critics, fault finders. Hear me? You may, look at, you may look at some situations externally and they seem so, so attractive. But if you had to deal inside of them, you might have a shock coming for you. Every preacher I know, every pastor is standing in his pulpit fighting to hold the line today. Amen. They're constantly testing us to see if we still mean what we say. You hear me? There's always somebody who don't like the car you bought. That's everywhere. Hallelujah. Nobody ever fusses about the fact that the bartender's driving a new Lincoln Town car or Jag. Nobody fusses about that but let a good old God-called preacher get him a new Sedan DeVille or a new Fleetwood or whatever he wants. And there's always some old toad in the hole who said, I wish I was a preacher. I could get so tough here. I'm trying to be a gentleman. No, I want to be a gentleman. I'd like to call them what they are, but then you'd think I was charismatic. Hallelujah. Glory. There's always some old dear, wonderful saint around the church. Isn't it pitiful? I mean, do you know that's everywhere? I said, Brother Boyd, do you have any folks like that? <laughs> you like to have them on loan for a while? Help yourself, write them, offer them a better job and a higher pay. That's one missing the will of God. It won't bother me. Hallelujah. Glory. Hey, can I shock you out of your minds? Go ahead. He's got them. Woo. 
Brother Spells even got them. There's folks he worries about. Don't look at me like that, preacher. I might call her names. I'll preach here a while. I've preached here a few times. <laughs> Hallelujah. Seriously, let me tell you, friend, there are no places in this world where it's just idealistically lovely. And you all pastor a bunch of Aquilas and Priscillas. <laughs> Glory to God. No, 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 no. I'm telling you what, somewhere in your life, amen, draw a line. Wherever you draw the line is where you're going to have your battle. But just draw the line and say, this is it. I'm going to fight. I'm going to stay until God helps me through. Well, 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 well. Is it scriptural? That's a good guideline, and if you can get past that one, you're one-third of your way through to success. Let's look at the second one. Is it the will of God? Testing inner feelings, impressions, or things to their authenticity. The second guideline is this question, is it right? I told you, that a young man that would be raised up in a local church be taught the gospel and the truth and the doctrine be helped along the way in the ministry who would return and attempt to split a man's church his pastor I have nothing but contempt for that kind of a behavior you hear me who would come back home to try to reap some kind of a starter off of the men of God that gave birth and the church that gave birth to them. I don't care if it's your best friend. I have nothing but contempt. It will not pass the question, is it right? Just the same as my God has nothing but contempt for a youth that will be disrespectful and irreverent toward their parents. This Bible still says... Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long in the earth. God hasn't got anything but contempt for a child that sasses and smarts off. Amen. Their mother and father are who may not to their face do it, but when with the rest of the young people will make snarling remarks about the old man and the old lady and critical, unloyal remarks. I said God has contempt for them kind of people. And I'm telling you anyone who would turn on their home church and attempt to harm it, to affect it derogatorily, oh, you listen to me, it will not pass the test. Is it right? I'm going to tell you an action that is approved of the Holy Ghost will not affect the integrity of a local church. It will not affect the integrity of a family. It will not infect the integrity of your walk with God. Impressions which are from God are always right. And I mean by that they're just, fair. They obey all the rules of decency. 
and morality and obligation and responsibility. They're right. Hallelujah. We cannot spend our lives feeding off of one another like carrion. I'm telling you, in many cases, there are no new churches. They're just checkers moved on the board. among us feed off of somebody hmm maybe I ought to think that over then they will stand all tests of commandment from God will stand all tests of what is right fair good healthy to drag your family out of a legitimate God-anointed apostolic church where there's a Holy Ghost-anointed preacher and plop them down another church, it don't make biblical sense. And it don't even make right sense. I'm thinking of a family situation in which a woman received the call to preach and do evangelistic work. I'll be nice and I'm not going to get no fuss whether she gets, she's really called or not, okay? I don't think I will. I said God has contempt for them kind of people. And I'm telling you, anyone who would turn on their home church and attempt to harm it, to affect it derogatorily, oh, you listen to me, it will not pass the test. Is it right? I'm going to tell you an action that is approved of the Holy Ghost will not affect the integrity of a local church. It will not affect the integrity of a family. It will not affect the integrity of your walk with God. Impressions which are from God are always right. I mean by that they're just fair. They obey all the rules of decency and morality and obligation and responsibility. They're right. Hallelujah. We cannot spend our lives feeding off of one another like carrion. I'm telling you in many cases there are no new churches. They're just checkers moved on the board. Is it right? Is it scriptural? Now is what you're doing just and fair? Does it cling to Bible truth? 
Is it in harmony with biblical tradition? Is it in harmony and parallel with Bible deeds and actions in here? Oh, I want to be right. I don't want to just be the loudest, but I do want to be right. Brother, I'm going to tell you, you got to be right to be saved. David said, teach me thy will. Psalms 143, 11. Teach me thy will, O Lord, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is right. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Teach me to live a lifestyle that is proper and right. Oh, hallelujah. I don't mean it ugly. God knows I don't, but I mean it sincerely. There's too much joking and making fun and playing, amen, in the ministry toward the preaching in the pulpit. Let me tell you about a pitfall this afternoon. And again, forgive me for meddling just a little bit in the ministry. But there is a pitfall that a close-knit fellowship produces. That is not so much true in a larger fellowship and group. We are more intimately associated. Therefore, we are more well acquainted. We are closer to one another. We know one another better. I like that part. There is a comradeship. When we see one another, there's a brightening of the eyes and a smile on our face. It's good to see one another. We are a family and there's a, there is a wonderful relationship together. But... There is a pitfall in that as well because a Bible teacher just old Bill Bowie, you know, and uh, that's old Bill spouting off and all that is is old Bowie's way of thinking and uh, let's just kind of laugh about it. Or that might be old McMullen's popping off now. He's a little bitter, you know. He's had a little trouble and got mad at everybody and hates everybody's guts. And that's old Steve just a spouting off. And there lies a deep trap among us. Do we still believe that God might be able to talk to us about there's none of you are God within yourself. You're not a pillar of truth all by yourself. You're not so accurate and so precise in everything you think or do that you do not need to hear the voice of someone else. At least a caution, a little bump here. My brethren have saved me time and again from foolish decisions. And listen to me, preacher. You're not that cockeyed smart. Whoo, Jesus, help me. I don't mean that ugly. Folks don't have to go nowhere. They don't need any preaching. They don't need nothing. And when they do go, it's a big old joke and a game and making fun and having a hoorah time. Dear God, have mercy. I love a good time. Ask Jesse Hudson. I love a good joke. Clean. Guys always flirting with sex and playing along the dangerous borders and perimeters of suggestive jokes and, and double meaning innuendos. God's going to get you if sex don't first. One man told Brother Evans several years ago, he said, Brother Evans, you're too prudish. He said, you don't, you're scared of sex. He said, you're afraid of all this funny things about it. He said, you're afraid of it. Brother Evans bounced back with this retort. He said, yes, sir. But as long as I'm afraid, 
I'll keep running. Some of us are getting on intimate terms with mighty dangerous stuff. God saved us out of that cesspool of filth. Don't insult my wife with your lousy, filthy double tongue. Ha ha. I felt good about it and I don't apologize. I still believe in purity, godliness. It ain't funny. Your filth is not funny to me. Your little old slurring remarks are not humorous to me. They're from hell. It isn't right. You haven't got so spiritual and full of the Holy Ghost that you can play juggling balls with hot subjects and think a spirit's not going to get on you. It may not happen today. I'm afraid of it. I think too much of my ministry. I'm just selfish enough, if you please, to want to go to heaven. I don't want to fall into sin. Hear me, hear me. Going along, peeking in books and taking folks to places to look at material and laughing and joking about it. You hear me, friend. It's rotten, it's filthy, it's of hell. Are you listening to me? Praise God. There is a spirit that accompanies that stuff that can get on us. There are people tonight wrestling with suggestiveness and temptations in their head because of something they read. And once you've read it, and once you've seen it, it is seared and burnt on your conscience, and you can't get it out. some ignorance you don't have to apologize for. But some of y'all know some stuff that's been to your benefit never have learned them. One time, I take responsibility for it. I take responsibility for it. I never saw filth. I never lived in that environment. God brought me up in a good family and I got the Holy Ghost and went right on into the ministry just as soon as I was adult. And uh, I haven't, I'm, and I'm not insulting anybody whom God has brought out of the world. That's such a wonderful thing. Amen. But just stay away from it once you get out. But I think those people that God saved out of the world and you've experimented in almost every kind of thing there is to do will agree with me that you wish to God there was some images that are still in your mind you could get rid of. There's some memories that you wish to God you'd ever, that pop up every once in a while and you can see them clear. And I'd never in my life looked at a dirty book. I know some of you don't believe that, but I had and read filthy stories. My daddy wouldn't let me use slang words. I was allowed to use one word in our home, and that was shoot. 
Boy, isn't that wicked? But all the rest of this, these euphemisms for cussing, we weren't allowed to say. We just weren't. Well, now we spit them out, and we've got that lovely, wonderful one that every time we're shocked or dismayed or surprised, we say, Oh, my God! Don't that sound lovely? It has such a lovely ring of respect and reverence to the Lord. But anyway, I never... I was preaching in a certain place. The fellow said, I want to show you something. And he took me in a store, and Jesus helped me. I turned red. He said, I want you to see something. Was in there just a few short minutes, and I ran out. He said, would you take me home? He took me home. I said, well, will you excuse me for a while? Brethren, you don't, I know you think this is funny. And I'm so naive, and I'm still so immature and childlike that I need to grow up. But I was so afraid that the Lord would come before I had a chance to repent like I should. I went to a park in town and got on a bench and said, God, forgive me. I've never seen such in my life. The fellow laughed at me. He laughed. He laughed and joked at my... childishness. But you hear me, I've never gone back to another one. But you listen to me. I can remember the pictures in the front of magazines of this day. You hear me? And I wish to God there was a way of erasing a memory. Because that lousy, filthy, rotten devil has a way right in the middle of a testimony service of flashing picture to your mind. Don't sit out there and look at me like that. It's the truth. Or in a most inappropriate moment, he has a way of whispering and bringing to mind because even though God saved you from the world, the memory of its trash is still there. God have mercy. Hear me, if there are innocent young people here, if you've not yet participated, I beg you in God's name, don't let this lousy bunch of delinquents make you feel... Young man, listen to me. Let them call you a sissy. My boy was called a queer by boys in the church because of certain ways of behaving and things he wouldn't do. Let them call you names. Let them call you mama's baby and be a sissy. But don't go along with the pressure of the crowd to have to participate. Young lady... If you're sitting down with girls that are talking too freely about things, be strong enough to get up and say, Excuse me, I'm going somewhere else. Is it wrong with going back to some old-fashioned purity? We know too much for our own good. We know too much for our own good. Jesus, go ahead and play your little, your little shadow boxing game with these hot spirits and dangerous things. Go ahead and tiptoe right up to the borderline. Some of you, excuse me today, have gone over the line. It isn't borderline anymore. It's in the devil's territory. Dear Jesus, I was with a group some years ago. I couldn't help it. I had to leave. There were full letter words being spat out. 
like they were just cheap words, just said here and said there. I was raised different. Hallelujah. I'm going to get very candid and very bold. My dad's got a television. My dad's, my mother wears a ring. But there's more holiness in my dad's little finger than in some preachers who claim to be holiness preachers. scriptural. Lord, please help us. God, and if we err in our own ignorance, have somebody preach to us. Lord, if we get sidetracked in any way, give us a prophet to raise up his voice. For Lord, we're not just interested in being the biggest and the strongest and the greatest. We want to be right. We want to be saved. We want to be scriptural. Praise the Lord. I thank you this afternoon for being so kind to me.